You know, I just don't understand why an emperor would have a clown be an important leader in their military. It just seems like... No, wait, Kefka, I wasn't talking about you! Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we're returning to Final Fantasy VI, and good news, Maddie and I are both liking the game a lot more. We've got some espers to shuffle, some octopi to sketch, and some statues to rearrange, so let's get to it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Schreier. And hello. Hello to both of you. Hello. hello. It's nice to see you both. It's beautiful in Portland. I haven't talked about the weather recently, but it is beautiful in Portland. <laughs> oh, and I'm just telling the world. Here we go. <laughs> the weather is really nice. And that's all I'm going to say about it's it. It's beautiful in New York, too. And my daughter, nice. my toddler, uh, who's now almost 19 months, loves going outside. And she loves just sitting in the dirt and just scooping up dirt and putting it on her pants. And it's I mean, really funny. Who doesn't love doing you that? You can't beat it. You can't no, beat it. I love it too. It's a great springtime activity. You know what it is another great springtime activity is becoming a Max Fun member and supporting uh-huh. the creation of that podcasts. That does sound like a good springtime like activity. Like Triple Click. So if you notice, if you listen to this show, you probably hear that we run ads for other Maximum Fun shows during our sort of ad break in the middle of the show. And all of those shows, they're all really cool. You've heard there's this like huge diversity of like talent and perspectives and all these people talking about all kinds of different things. That's Maximum Fun. That's the network we're a part of. And if you become a member of it, you pay a certain amount per month. There are different tiers. And then you support the creation of whichever shows you listen to. Maybe it's just Triple Click. Maybe it's Triple Click and a bunch of others. And we each get sort of a portion of your pledge to support the network. And that helps us keep making the show. So thanks to everyone who has become a member to support us making this show. And the thing is, if you become a member, it's not just something you can feel good about. You get bonus episodes of Triple Click every single month. We do all kinds of things. Beans casts, we call them, which are spoiler casts about movies and video games. We talk about our favorite movies or our life stories. I don't know. We do all kinds of things. <laughs> our favorite albums. <laughs> Kirk can't figure out what his favorite album is. No, we it's impossible. We talk about that for six hours. You know what my new favorite... Man, I've been listening to Carol King Tapestry, one of the best albums ever made. Okay, I'm we're not doing this. I brought this up. <laughs> it shouldn't have even said <laughs> anything. what'd you do? That's my new favorite album, though. It's so good. Give me a break. Those are on the bonus feed. You yes, can sorry, hear sorry. that over there. So speaking of bonus episodes, we are doing a Beanscast for April that's actually going to run a little bit late. So this is a two-part announcement. First of all, it's going to run uh, at the very beginning of May, which is a week later than usual. They usually come out on Monday at the end of the month. The reason for that is that we are doing a Beanscast on the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So just a big <laughs> MCU spoiler cast chat about everything. And the reason we're making it a little later is because we want to get to the end of the first First season or only season of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is currently mm-hmm. airing on Disney Plus. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about WandaVision. Maddie has a whole bunch of thoughts on that that I know mm-hmm. are really cool. I've got a bunch of thoughts too. We're gonna talk about just Civil War. All the movies, this whole <laughs> The Avengers movies, Black Panther. This whole Civil War, <laughs> this whole Marvel world that we live in. Yes, it's gonna be fun. We're gonna spoil them all. So you gotta watch every single movie and every show. Get watching. Or <laughs> you could not do those things and enjoy whatever you want. <laughs> you just got to be caught up on your Marvel history for like your <laughs> MCU lore these days. Anyways, that's what's going to be our beans cast uh, for this for this month. If you want to hear that, become a member. Maximumfun.org slash join. And thank you so much again to everybody who's become a member. All right. We have a video game to talk about, Jason. <laughs> Take us away. Let's do it. This week we are doing a triple play where all three of us play a video game. And it is once again, Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VI Part Two. 
Mm-hmm. Just as a quick refresher, we had a bet last year. Uh, we each made predictions. Whoever got the most right would get to uh, uh, force the other two to play a video game. Um, Kirk and I both won. My game was Final Fantasy VI. We're playing that in the first half of the year. Kirk's game is Half-Life 2. We're playing that in the second half of the year. And you guys have both been playing Final Fantasy VI. On our yes. last episode, you played up until the Opera House. Um, on this episode, you have played through the end of the floating continent. So just a big old spoiler warning right now that um, if you haven't played Final Fantasy VI, if you're like not caught up yet to the end of the floating continent, if you're playing along and you don't want to know what happens, it will be spoiled up until then. Won't spoil after that, but we will spoil the big twist of the game, which happens <laughs> right up to where you guys are. Um, all right, let's get to it. Kirk, Maddie. Um, what did you guys think? Have your thoughts, you both were kind of negative on it. Have your thoughts changed since we last discussed it? (laughs) Kirk, you have a lot to say. First, (laughs) let me just say that like, I know there's, there's sort of a narrative around our first triple play of Final Fantasy VI that Maddie and I both just totally hated the game. Having edited that episode, listened back to it and also played a one third role in the creation of the conversation (laughs) that was recorded. I know that I didn't actively hate it. I feel like it was fair enough. There were a lot of things that we struggled with about the game. And mm-hmm. I can't speak for you, Maddie, but I, you know, it's like, it's more complicated than that. And I think to some extent, I maybe came off more negatively than I really feel about the game. Well, we focused on the criticisms, I think, a lot. Yes, I think we did. And I think that that's just partly because you really like the game and we had these criticisms. So then that's like going to be the natural point of conversation. Yeah. There mm-hmm. have always been from the beginning things that I really like about it. The music, which we barely touched on, is incredible. The whole overall vibe. It's nice. It's funny. It's weird. It has that Final Fantasy energy. I liked this part of the game much, much more than I liked the first whatever, however, 20 hours that I played. Um, this mm-hmm. second 20 hours or 15 <laughs> hours or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I like a lot. I'd more love to it's, see your game timer. <laughs> it's yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, and the game has definitely sort of coalesced into more of a thing that just feels coherent to me, despite there's so many momentary incoherences to it. So just very broadly, and I have a lot of particular things, but very broadly, I am I I really was actively having fun for a lot of the time that I was playing for these however many hours. Um, Maddie, what about you? Me too. I also felt a lot better about the second 15 hours that I played. And I think that's probably about right for how long it took me. This I would feels have to check about, my play timer like after this. Right. Uh, of course, I'm using a walkthrough, et cetera. I'm using every trick in the book to get through this <laughs> game. But I did, I did enjoy the second 15 hours more. And I think it is because the tone is a lot more even. And I'm going to make a comparison here that won't benefit you at all, Jason, which is Sailor Moon. <laughs> and I know you've never watched Sailor Moon. <laughs> I've never watched any anime. <laughs> I know, but I just, I feel like the second... Uh, third of this game really reminds me of Sailor Moon. And that's that's mm. a compliment for the record. It's because it is, it's not only because it's like, you know, a female fronted game about a girl who has superpowers and it's mysterious and she's figuring out who she is, et cetera. That's Usagi's narrative in Sailor Moon, of course. It's also the humor of the game and the tone of the game and just the age group that I think the game is probably best suited for is like, you know, eight to 10 year olds, the age I was when I saw Sailor Moon feels like just the right sweet spot for at least the second third of the game. The first third was a lot more uh, vacillating between super goofy, like slapstick humor and weird sections that I was like, I'm not sure why this is here. The second third, there are still goofy slapstick sections. There's still Ultros. There's still like (laughs) over the top anime villains monologuing essentially. And that's all like, you know, Queen Beryl and Sailor Moon. And I'm down for that. And it's paired with, 
um, just a lot of lore and world building stuff that is revealed in a pretty fun way. And you're discovering more of Tara's story, which I'm enjoying a lot. And the balance between grinding in this section and story, I thought was more palatable to my tastes as well. So that's like the equivalent of Monster of the Week episodes and Sailor Moon and story episodes. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's my comparison and my compliment for the second third of this game. Yeah, I like that. Um, Can I just share a list of things I liked that I have taken from my notes? They're very short. Please do. Okay. The first one says, I like Ultros and it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. I liked him better this time. I was like ready. I was ready for Ultros and I was like, now he's funny to me. I like this guy now. Do you like how the way to defeat him ultimately is to show him a picture of himself? (laughs) Yep. And he's like, oh, I'm just this like sad old octopus. And he just leaves. There's always a funny thing with beating him. And just it's funny. I, I think the joke has worked on me. It's like kind of a family guy thing where you keep telling the joke until it becomes funny. But it didn't become funny. So that's one. The next one is it just I just wrote Kefka. Oh crud. I like how Kefka curses. I like that he just says crud. This is in our translation we're all playing the uh, GBA version. Um, I enjoy that he says crud. I wrote um, love the Esper human sex dramatization in the flashback. Okay, yeah. I was going to ask you guys what you thought of this because it's so funny that like the two are like they look at each other they've met like two seconds ago and then it's just like they like turn into stars and are like Mm -hmm. circling and Mm -hmm. then a baby is made. It's I I was very confused as a kid not knowing how babies were made I was like right. wait a minute so this is this is how it works well that's how they're made and this was the first time you saw how they're made right. finally right. yeah I was like okay so I go into a monster fantasy world uh-huh. and then and you I become a, a star and you're a mere human but mm-hmm. you find true love together it's kind of like mm-hmm. it's the 90s kid version of watching old cartoons where the stork brings a baby <laughs> only it's two stars from like an esper and a human <laughs> creating yeah. Terra it kind of reminded me of what you said last time Kirk though about all the different ways that this game finds fun little camera tricks or like filmmaking tricks to Mm -hmm. uh, explain something very quickly, which in this case is like sort of a kid-friendly version of a love story without bogging you down in a bunch of scenes where they talk to each other more. Like, I I got it. It's like comical shorthand that they spin around and turn into sparkles and they suddenly have a baby. But I also got it at the same time. It was a form of shorthand that worked mm-hmm. for me even though I also laughed at it I enjoyed it's it. It's funny but it's romantic in its way. It's cute. Yeah it is cute and there's nice music and you're mm-hmm. like aw that's Tara and I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I predicted that she was going to be half Esper half human on the last step so I felt very vindicated that I was mm-hmm. right about that. <laughs> Good job. Um, it's worth noting that like a playable flashback a lot of this and I hope you guys as I'm glad you're both enjoying this a lot more now um, but I hope you also just like take a few minutes to think about like what this meant to back then and like the context of it all because so many of these things were revolutionary in a video game like the concept of the cinematic stuff I mentioned last time how cinematic the game is but also like the concept of a playable flashback is just so like I had never heard of I don't think there's any game that did anything like that until this Um, and then it would be iterated on late uh, in Final Fantasy 7 in the next game but yeah it happens all the time uh, now it's like every game's got a playable flashback every time you turn around yeah but this really is I mean it's it's groundbreaking in how it switches characters 
ideas and perspectives mm-hmm. so often too. I mean, the playable flashback isn't just a playable flashback. It's a playable flashback where they put you into not just a different character, but in a whole different world. And they introduce mm-hmm. it to you very in medias res where it's just like, here we are in the world of the espers, which yep. is also like, I can see the under the influence on Undertale, which is just cool. It feels very yeah. Undertale-ish with the monster realm and the gate and all of that. Um, as much as you know, Undertale owed to Earthbound, it also kind of borrowed this. Um, wait, I'm, so I'm going to go through a few more of the things that I liked. Please. LOL, how you can use the bathroom in the Imperial Palace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which does speak to a little thing that I think is enjoyable about this game is it's so big and it is kind of surfacey in the way that we talked about last time. Like it's, you know, it's all, it's kind of like they've, they've got really shallow tools. So there isn't like deep physics simulations of anything, but because of that, they can do so much little stuff like that. And I just mm-hmm. think it's funny how your character kind of squats on the toilet and there's like a toilet flushing sound if you happen to go use it. And there's mm-hmm. so many things like that. Maddie, I'm also using a walkthrough from shout out to Caves of Narsh, which is yeah. like. You recommended this to me after yeah. the last episode. You were like, you should use this Caves of Narsh walkthrough. And I have been ever since. And it's a wonderful walkthrough, kind of a belated suggestion to the listeners now, but... It's Very really well great. Um, it's a really intense walkthrough in some ways. Like the person who's wrote it, his, who wrote it is like knows everything about this game. So if you wanted, you could do everything in it and literally like 100% the game and the bestiary and everything. But it's also just very charmingly written by a, mm-hmm. someone who loves the game and like makes lots of jokes and is having fun as a writer. So anyways, I've used that and that's helped me find some of these little hidden things. Just like they're like, if you want to see, um, you know, an alternate cutscene that you would never see, like go to this house after going here. And it's made me realize, you know, you, the full breadth of like all of the little hidden things in the game, which do make it feel pretty rich when you like start to experience them and then realize that they're all totally optional and you can miss them. Okay, I just have a couple more. Um, I like that Shadow uses a smoke bomb to escape a burning building. Yes! <laughs> I very much enjoy that. That's a that. perfect example of the kind of humor that this game does that I enjoy, where it's yes. like, it's slapstick, it doesn't really make any sense, but it doesn't super matter because that's just enough humor within the realm of the world that it's cool, as opposed mm-hmm. to, I don't, I don't know, the Serpent Trench. We don't need to yeah, talk about I, that. So I think the concept of that is that he's using an item that has, in the game, like when in gameplay and in, in battles, it has the effect of letting you escape something. Right. So the concept is that like it mm, lets you escape that's funny. this battle situation. It's like using a phoenix down to revive someone sure. who dramatically died right. or whatever. It's like the joke equivalent of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, it's funny because and he's just a ninja and ninjas use smoke bomb, like in sort of mm-hmm. popular fiction to escape things, mm-hmm. but he's in the middle of this burning room and it's like, how is that going to get you out of here? But it mm-hmm. does get him. Yeah, like everyone's passed out and there's no way he could like carry them all out in time. So he just puts down a smoke bomb. Easy peasy. Man, Shadow is such a flake. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Let's talk about Shadow some. (laughs) Yeah, you guys guys both saved him at the end of the book. I did. I mean. You'll learn more about him. The guy only cares about money. I'm sure that's the only thing he cares about. You'll learn learn a lot more about him. You'll learn a yeah. lot more about him in the second. I've learned game. some things about him. So, so one thing worth mentioning that I already noticed is that Realm, who I love, I gotta say, may, do, are people mixed She's on Realm? Precocious. I think Realm is. I love really her. No, nobody's charming. mixed on Realm, and her music is amazing. Her music is wonderful. And- Yeah, that's the thing. It's really just like when she comes out, the music plays, and it's very like Uematsu's Aerith's theme. Like, just it, they're different, but it just has that same kind of beautiful, sort of serene energy. And I'm like, I love Realm. Like the minute she showed up, I was like, I love this kid. She's great. And yeah. um, she has this ring 
that also works on shadow. Mm-hmm. And that is this implication of this relationship between them. So you already start to see it. And this is an well, example. Well, and also of, Interceptor likes her and he yes. doesn't yes. like anyone. And the dog goes to save her. So there, that's pretty subtle. And I know I was sort of being like, this game is generally not very subtle last time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I enjoy that there is subtle stuff going on with shadow despite the fact that he had maybe sold us out to the Empire and also Debatable. just keeps leaving and I have to keep de- like unequipping him of all of his stuff. Fucking Shadow. Just Yeah, dude does not give a shit. Yeah. yeah. No. I don't even no. want to put anything on Shadow. I'm just like, that guy's not going to stay Whatever. around. Like, I'm, I'm like, sort of half just reading the walkthrough and then <laughs> uh-huh. Shadow will disappear again. I'm like, damn it. Yep. should have been wa- reading the walkthrough more. I'd never know mm-hmm. when this guy's going to leave. Like- <laughs> um, do you guys, do you have more stuff on your list, Kirk? Oh, um, no. It's fine. I do, but I, we can just keep moving. Okay. Um, all right. I have I have some things that I want to talk about with you guys. So first of all, okay. So first of all, I was actually a little worried you guys would bounce off. You would get really mad at the Magitech facility, which is the first thing you do after the Opera House, and that dungeon mm-hmm. is a pain in the ass and kind of a has tough enemies. Dun- dungeon. And mm-hmm. It wasn't so bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, good. There are so many other annoying things in this game that was that didn't even okay. register for me. Tbh. Good. But so <laughs> so one of my favorite parts of any Final Fantasy game, and this was like such a thing back in the day on the Super Nintendo and PlayStation role playing games, is that moment where you first get the airship and you can explore the entire yes. world. Yeah. And I that wonder ruled. if you guys had feelings about that when you first got. So not when you actually got it after the Opera House, but when you first had access yes. to flying it yourself. You fly did you guys around. have like? How did you guys feel about that? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I yeah. it was you super, it? super fun to fly around and go wherever I wanted to go and mm-hmm. like do a Did you do some exploring? Did some you go find random with stuff? Gao and like just go to towns that I had like kind of done a cursory once over with and just check things out. I mean, it just, it opens up the world. I mean, it's very obvious for me to put it that way, but it, it, there is a huge difference between navigating the overworlds in the airship and not constantly getting belabored with all these battles all the time uh-huh. versus like walking around, trudging around, which is, is something that I know I complained about in the last episode, like how yep. long it takes you to do everything. Even if hypothetically you had the ability to fast forward in this game, it's still a right. lot of trudging around and the airship <laughs> really changes that dynamic. Right. Yeah. Also, the airship music is really good. Just to yes. mention the music again, it's so and those like, graphics, those Mode Six graphics. <laughs> uh. The world of adventure. We're <laughs> setting sail on the skies. Like it just uh-huh. has this great energy. And yeah, it's. I've been thinking a lot about friction, just in general. It's sort of something I keep talking about that we talk about a lot in general. Um, the idea of a game throwing up roadblocks and making things sort of hard to get through and like difficult instead of just being super smooth. This game has a ton of friction. A lot of, you know, old RPGs from the 90s do just because there's a lot of menus. They hadn't figured out how to streamline things yet. And yet when they removed that friction entirely in some limited way, the way that the airship just totally removes random battles and makes it so mm-hmm. you can just go start checking things off the list. Like if you want to go to the Velt and like go get some more stuff for Gao, go do it, like go right away and then mm-hmm. just hop back in your ship. And that is really, really nice. Like it, the freedom comes from the fact that you are free of something <laughs> and what yeah. you're free of is like the thing you were kind of suffering through for the first, you know, X hours of the game. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then, okay. So you guys, then you go through a bunch of stuff. You do the sealed cave. You learn about the espers. Blah blah blah. Um, and then you get to the point where the emperor is like, "Actually, I've changed my mind. I don't want to fight with you guys." And he invites <laughs> you to this banquet. What did you guys think? Sorry, Kirk. You you wanted to say something? 
Oh, I mean, just about this section. Yes. Well, yeah. Uh, so I wanted, I wanted to know. So before this banquet even starts, first of all, so you guys are both using Waku, so you might have known exactly what to do and like what to say. But I'm basically, not at first, I, I started using the walkthrough halfway through because I was like, wait, shit, this is gonna matter. <laughs> okay. So, so, so first, the emperor makes you go around and talk to soldiers, and some of them fight you, and some of them try to waste your time. Kafka, mm-hmm. if you run into Kafka during this part, he wastes your time, and you have like yeah. four minutes to talk to as many as possible. Then the banquet starts and you have all these dialogue options and it's like the first time in the game that you have dialogue options yeah. and it's super weird then it turns out and maybe you don't even know if you're playing this game for the first time blindly but it turns out that everything you've been doing talking to the soldiers and choosing dialogue is on a point system and the items you get after the whole thing are based on uh, how many points you got so yeah what did you two think um, <laughs> as you were playing through this I really like this it's kind of just another adventure game set piece is how I think of mm-hmm. it which um, this is you've had dialogue options before at the opera so it's sort of similar to that right. where you're being given these sort of dialogue tests that you then have mm-hmm. to pass that's it's really cool it's like a great change but the opera there's a guide first there's like a music book That's first true. that tells yeah, you no, what I know. The they're, they're not they're not identical this but is it's like the same totally. concept it's a <laughs> it's a combat free dialogue challenge that yeah. is more in line with an adventure game than with this kind of game did you use a walkthrough when you were playing when you no were i i mean i, I ha- i've been just checking the walkthrough as i play but i was like no i'm just gonna play this and see how it goes i unlocked some stuff like i did okay it's pretty clear most of the time what mm-hmm. you're supposed to um what you're supposed to say, yeah. What the like, best options are, you know. What yeah. the best options are, and if and if it's not, you don't clear, want to offend like, the empire. Yeah. It's kind of scored like five to one, I think, or mm-hmm. five to zero, mm-hmm. maybe. It's like the middle one is pretty much fine. Like you'll get there. Um, what I like about this is that it's super clear that this is sketchy. Um, yes. Like obviously, the emperor like is gonna betray you. He's this huge asshole, um, <laughs> and I appreciated that all the characters are like. This is bullshit. Like, be on your guard. Like, that they weren't mm-hmm. all just like, yay, cool, we're all friends now. Like, yep. mm-hmm. I, that just was kind of nice that they instead wrote it to have the characters all be super suspicious. And even when Locke and Tara go off afterward, the rest of them are like, they're like, be on your guard. This is fishy. And then, of course, it, it does turn out to be a huge double cross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also really liked the ongoing plotline with Celis for the same reason. I mean, yeah. that's mm-hmm. just been happening throughout this whole time, like before and after that scene, where the characters are all debating, well, not debating, but kind of talking about whether or not they think she truly betrayed you or mm-hmm. not in a way that I found really realistic and and fun to read and just hear each person's perspective like well you know she probably was on our side or maybe she wasn't or I don't know and like Locke obviously has feelings for her and all of that added a lot more texture to the character's motivations in a way that I was kind of missing in the beginning of the game but by now I care enough about everyone and also mm-hmm. I felt like those exchanges were a little better written so I mm-hmm. liked it and then I also enjoyed that it wasn't so heavy handed that it was some big surprise when she was on your side in the end, because like, of course she is. And right. the characters kind of knew that as opposed to being like, what? Oh my God, what's going to happen? Like it didn't, they felt like people to me, you know? Well, that's, what's really interesting about the scene afterwards uh, in Albrook with Locke and Celis in the middle of the night where Celis is like yes. really pissed at Locke for not, for like even having a shred of like hesitancy and reluctance about her. Yeah. I mean, I didn't take that as her being pissed i took it as her just being too upset to speak to him about Mm. any of it but Mm -hmm. the fact that you don't know is part of what's cool about those scenes because it's like it's so open to interpretation in a good Mm -hmm. way where it's it's 
very minimalist and it, it doesn't tell you what what the characters are saying or feeling all the time mm-hmm. and you can't even see their faces so you really yeah. have to just look at their literal body language of these tiny sprites and be like well i think Sally's is mad or i think she's sad or whatever and you can just take whatever you think well what happened was the developers of the game listened to last episode and they heard Kirk saying like this is <laughs> oh, a game great. where everyone says what they feel and yeah. we're gonna change that for the rest mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. yeah I appreciate it <laughs> I think it's true that those scenes are slightly better written than others or significantly better written than some other scenes in the game and yeah it comes back to that minimalism thing where they're doing a lot with a little because they only have like five or six motions or something per character and then a couple of unique animations like they fall down they they kneel kneel, they they jump and look surprised for so many different emotions which Mm -hmm, is kind of fun mm -hmm. and interesting like sometimes it's like a funny slapstick kneel and sometimes it's like a just tragic grief kneel or Mm -hmm. like any number of other or it's uh taking a poop kneel which is yeah most important one. <laughs> or vomiting on a ship, Neil. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, it's very it's it speaks to the creativity you can get from limitation. Yes. Yes. I think that that is very true of this game in general and, and felt more true as they were sort of getting into these second layer emotional interactions between the characters. Now that they're all established, all 50 billion of them, including the <laughs> ones like Cyan, who I'm just like, why yeah. are you in this game? Like, I the, don't the, know. You, you know I, you haven't even met him all yet. No, I'm sure. God. Um, I mean, there were more introduced in this one. Like, we haven't even talked about Strago yet. Like, or there's Mog. Yeah, we'll get there. But they're two, they're two new party members that you guys haven't met yet that you can get in the second Great. half. But yeah, can't go wait. On. Well, so, but there's just this, there are things with that scene with Celis and Locke where she, she can look down mm-hmm. and like, she looks kind of s- sad and thoughtful. And then she looks up to her sprite is really good. And like Celis is a just well-designed character, like, and they're doing a lot of smart things with her. The fact that she's removed from the game for this big chunk. And mm-hmm. then also the fact that you land with her after the floating continent and she's alone is like also really smart, I think. And I haven't really played past that, but like just the fact that the game takes you into the perspective of the one person who I've been the most curious about, at least even more than Tara. I'm like, yeah. but Celis though, like what's her story? And, um, and that I, I, I like that decision to be like after this huge, you know, culminating moment, this giant twist, this shift into the second half of the game. And now here you are, it's just you and her. And she's like alone and there's no, she has no sense of what happened to all of her friends and like mm-hmm. has to kind of set up from there. Well, she's been like in a coma for a year. For a yeah, year. for a year, right. Which is like an absurd, like lost-esque, like sudden reveal of like, now. also right. a year went by and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it feels like a new season of television or something. We picked a good stop. Just point. wait. Oh my God, <laughs> Maddie, just wait. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. So, so and then you guys meet Strago. Strago, we talked about Realm. Strago is another funny, silly character. Um, kind of the stereotypical like old man mage. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I always enjoy it in, in the mage village when you like catch them using cure and fire and stuff. And they're always like, uh, cure, uh, well, it's like they have curio some puns afterwards. Like, curio cabinet. That's like, yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. Um, and then General Leo dies. Rest in peace, General Leo. <laughs> Do you guys know that there were all sorts of rumors back in the day about how to revive General Leo and like Why people wanted to bring this? him back? <laughs> It was it was a whole big thing. I think it's just like people don't really die in these games, so when someone mm. does, it's very shocking. No, they do. They always Final Fantasy games since. Well, they did have the little tricky thing with Shadow, where it seemed like Shadow was dead for a hot second, and then he mm-hmm, came back mm-hmm. in this game. So, like, I can kind of understand how then people would be like, Leo might come. And I guess back. you can, and you can let Shadow die, right? Like, yeah, and well, that's Final true. Fantasy Four also killed some people, aka two, the one before this. Um, on the Super mm-hmm. Nintendo. And then, um, so with General Leo, he's 
like you get to control him for a minute before he dies. He's and so really good too. I yeah. wish he was in my party. God, yeah, that's the thing. People were like, "Why? Why would they create him for combat if you can't get him in your party?" And um, yeah, he's super strong. And but just for the sake of a dramatic scene, which is so much sure. cooler. It's like which is awesome. Just for the sake of this one exactly. Set piece. Exactly. And it's like part of another great old school Final Fantasy tradition is like letting you play for a second as this guy who's super overpowered and like Mm -hmm. can't do it again, like with Sephiroth and Final Fantasy seven and stuff like that. Yeah, there are a few times this this set piece here t- where, that we're talking about is when um, General Leo fights Kefka and then Kefka kills him through yes. all this trick- trickery. And it's like Kefka's like first great betrayal when he betrays you on behalf of the Empire- Emperor before his second great betrayal when he basically uh-huh. betrays the whole world. And so that scene and then also the later scene when Kefka betrays the Emperor, they both they're cut scenes that play out in the combat engine, like the mm-hmm. side view combat engine. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff too. There are so few perspectives and types of sprites in this game that they can use that it really shows you like how they're they're just using every single piece of the game um every time the espers attack and rampage i think it's it's funny only because it's a little clumsy looking but it's really effective the way that the world shakes and everyone falls down and then the battle vision versions of the Mm -hmm. like espers come flying across the screen and they're all huge and like more detailed and it's like oh god they're pissed off like they're in battle mode i think that's good stuff yeah, yeah, it's really good stuff, especially when some of them are like ones you already have in your party and you're mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I want to talk about that one Edgar line because this is like a very controversial, very creepy <laughs> Do we thing. have to? God. I mean, <laughs> Edgar, kind of. I Edgar you're canceled. Like Can we just? Yeah, we're canceling Edgar we're canceling finally. Edgar. It's been so long. He's going to delete his Twitter. We're going to fire him from the internet. <laughs> I want to say, so my initial interpretation of this is very charitable. So in English, okay, so in the Super NES version, they totally removed it. Um, so in the line in, and I, I'm going to link in the show notes to legendsoflocalization.com, which is a great website, and they have an entire breakdown of, of what he says. Um, so him and Realm, the context is they're leaving Thamasa. Everyone's leaving Thamasa. Leo just died. People are upset. Got to go back after the Empire, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Edgar, <laughs> Realm says, uh, what's wrong? Realm is like, how old are you? Realm's like 10. And then Edgar says something. So in the Super Nintendo version, the game I originally played, he says, you've grown up entirely too fast. Lighten up, okay? So totally fine line. Nothing mm-hmm. at all. Uh, objectionable about that line in the GBA version the the version we all just played he says not even a lady yet here's hoping you're still around in eight years kid <laughs> he also the animation is him like smacking his forehead like oh I can't believe she's only 10 like, yeah, so, like so much so Edgar is a character who hits on everybody in the game so you yes. would assume that and like, there are oh my God, other like, lines that I looked up because I was remembering like all the Castle Figaro ladies like they all have lines as well where they're like Edgar hits on every Everyone, young and old, and we just can't escape him. Like there that, are some kind of dire yeah. lines about Edgar. So let castle. me. So okay. So my interpretation of that GBA version originally was okay. He's just saying like like he's he's really hoping that she makes it and she like gets a chance to grow old. And I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> then precious. I read what the original tra- what the original <laughs> Japanese is. Oh God. Um, 
Okay, so the Japanese version, and this is a translation by um, by Clyde Mandolin for Legends of Localization. Um, Realm, Realm leaves. She says, I'm going on ahead. And then Edgar says, yeah, that'd definitely be a crime. I'd better just forget about it. So it's way <laughs> worse in the original Japanese. Yeah, and Edgar yeah. is like a total fucking creep. Um, yeah. I so mean, yeah, Edgar is a total cool. creep anyway you slice it, really. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but yeah. He yes. just is. Like, yes. that is a but part of his character. He's even worse he in Japanese. It's just even more egregious yes anyway moving on i want to talk about the floating (laughs) continent and then the end of the world but before we do i want to talk a little bit about the mechanics because one of the things that happens where in kind of the break point where we left off is that you really get to know the esper system and you get a lot more espers and then you can start customizing all your characters with magic and that's really when the game's combat starts to shine because you can like really decide how you want to customize your party um did you guys what did you guys think of that did you like take advantage of the esper system have you been rotating espers to teach everyone magic and stuff I mean, I have been, but I don't love it. I, I'm sorry. I, I feel like this you is don't part have to of the apologize. game where I'm just like, I am not a JRPG person. This yeah. is too much spreadsheet stuff for me, and I just don't like moving little things around in the boxes enough. And that's it. Yeah, a lot that's of menus. Yeah, but I like the rest of the game. <laughs> I like the theory of using an item and then having an imprint on you where you get the ability or even just an ability once you level it up and it encourages mm-hmm. you to kind of cycle through things and you can customize your magic build for each character. And I like the fact that it fits in with the lore of the world where there was no magic and so your party members are all gaining magic through this magicite that the espers have like trans- sacrificed themselves to give you like that's all cool I don't like yeah. the system just because it's like Maddie said it's it's so much micromanaging and like it's it's not just that it's like it's hard to even read. It's just there's a legibility problem with the size of the screen and the fonts and how much they can fit where you have to go into the Esper menu. You have to yep. look at what percent you are and all the spells to see like where you're at and like really keep everything in your head. And I'm like, it's a good system in general. And it has this thing that I'll actually talk about in one more thing with Monster Hunter where there's like there's a lot a lot of this sort of really chewy, frictiony stuff where you're having to just get get your head around these menus and like these systems can be satisfying the more familiar you get with them. And it's why so many of these games, it's like, well, you'll like it after 15 hours because after Uh 15 hours, you'll have just gone through the damn Esper's menu, which by the way is under abilities also. Like why can't they just be Yeah, like why? There should be an Esper's menu. Like whatever. Anyway. But that's like one small symptom, right? Of the same thing that like all the menus are just a mess. Abilities, magic, but then you navigate up from magic to Esper's and then try to remember who has what Esper. It's, yeah, it's a lot of clicks there's a lot of stuff like that where i'm just kind of frustrated and bummed out by like even picking a party like selecting someone and getting them down into the party box is like kind of hard <laughs> like i still am sometimes yeah. accidentally i'm wondering if that's actually just the version of the game we're playing like Maybe. was it that hard on the gba it can't have been right like you just use the d-pad right i know what you're talking about though like you have to navigate multiple times to get down to the box yeah because you grab them and then you have to go through the two rows that exist for all yes. this yeah because there's two rows that's why that you have to get. navigate multiple times yeah. that's what you're talking. there's just it's there's annoying. some ui stuff um so did, so did you guys find that like the combat you just didn't care about the combat or you enjoyed no. it more or enjoyed it less? There were times when I enjoyed it. I mean, there were certainly moments when I would like figure out a, an attack or set of attacks that worked really well on an enemy or I'd just happen mm-hmm. into it or I'd be like, oh, I remember this enemy type and this worked really well. And then those are like the satisfying Pokemon-esque moments where you're like, it's super effective. I found this thing that works really well in this moment and that yeah. rules. But yeah. more often than not, I was frustrated by something and then eventually I would Google it and be like, what are the 70s weaknesses? I just need to get through this. I mean, we're about to 
to talk about the floating continent, which had a maze that I personally did not care for. And I, <laughs> it, that it also had the like timed battle at the very end that I did not personally. Yeah. Care we'll get for into either. that in a sec. Yeah. We'll so get into that in a sec. what's freshest in my memory right now are some of the more frustrating battles that I actually enjoyed less than the prior 15 hours of the game where I was Got liking the battles fairly well. So there's something to that though. And I think that can kind of just tie in with how I feel about combat and also the floating continent in that dungeon, because that was mm-hmm. the most challenging dungeon by far. Each fight is just like much, much more challenging. That's like where behemoth turns up for the first time. Like there are just some enemies that really will kind of wreck you. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's hard to totally gauge the combat. I mean, I guess I can say that I think the combat is good, even though, um, I'm not really playing it in the right way just because I'm like, don't have the billions of hours that it would take to like really master the system. So I am, I'm like looking at guides and stuff and I, I have a party build that's like pretty sick and I can just crush, like if you know which abilities to use, the same four abilities from the same four party members will just kill everything in the game. Yeah. And like if you can, you know, fast yeah. forward through combat, it's just like you kind of like get going and, and this is kind of like if you're playing Final Fantasy VI in a modern context, the combat just becomes a different thing and I don't know that it would really be possible at least as an adult to to recreate like the feeling of the many many hours that you could spend as a kid if you had just infinite time playing this game like figuring it all out for yourself which could be really rewarding and cool because it's so dense and complicated and clearly you know well designed and there's all these interesting interplays between like you know weaknesses and strengths and different characters and summons and like party makeup there's so much there it's so unbelievably dense and varied and i'm a little like skating through it just because like it's just too much. Like it's so, so, so much. Yeah. Well, so mm-hmm. part of it is resource management. And that's something that I think like if you're playing the most efficiently, then you don't really even think about that. But like the floating continent, especially and with like the Air Force fight beforehand, when I was a kid, a lot of that for me was like managing my potions and like making sure that I was like like killing things or efficiently. Cure spells or whatever. Right. Yeah. Which I have like maximum number of high potions at all times. Right. If you have a maximum, if you're playing like like if you're optimizing and using the chainsaw and like the best spells yeah. on every single attack, then you right. don't even have to worry about that. AKA doing Rising Phoenix in 95% exactly. of fights. Exactly. Yeah. Just well, winning. just wait. In the World of Ruin, Sabin gets this ability called Phantom Rush that will just destroy everything. You'll see. Yeah. Um, it turns the game into easy mode. So to then come back around to the floating continent, there's just, there's a thing in these games that is just, I think, a bad feeling. And it's something that games don't really do anymore. And that's great. And it's just the feeling of being in a maze that's deliberately designed to be hard to read, like the floating continent, where you need to sometimes walk up to a corner and like the wall will just fall away for you to keep going. Or maybe there's a button you step on and you have to backtrack. Anytime you're somewhere like that, especially in this game, it's really easy to get stuck in a situation where you're like, I don't actually know where to go. And then I start to just feel stressed out because it's like, well, anytime I want to just go walk and bump into the walls over there. But to do that, I'm going to have to go and like trigger a bunch of fights and I don't know when they're going to happen. And this Mm -hmm. is like the reason I think it's like the fundamental problem with random encounters that are just invisible on the map is it feels like walking through a minefield that's constantly changing. And even though I can win each fight, there's just this feeling of like, oh, my God, another friggin behemoth. 
and like here we go again i started just running away from every fight in the floating mm-hmm. continent because i was like i just need to i want to know where the next thing is rather than like fight yet another dragon and so that it did kind of exacerbate or highlight for me the sort of frustrating aspect of these dungeons with the random encounters yeah i accidentally wasted some time in the floating continent by getting lost and then i did not use a walkthrough because i cockily was like ah it's a maze i can figure out a maze (laughs) i could not figure out the maze and so i played it for like an hour and then i was like well i've walked around this maze a lot and i have learned nothing although i've learned a lot about myself and like my emotions (laughs) so i actually like reverted back to an earlier save started over at the floating continent and then just used a walkthrough like word for word and just followed it which is not how i prefer to play but i feel like i got the full continent experience by playing (laughs) for an hour and getting really lost so in a way it's like i beat it by discovering how to defeat the maze you could at the near the end jump down to the airship and then have to start over again oh i did not do that i did not return to that airship No no way um, some people thought that was the final uh, dungeon, but you guys oh, knew sure. that it was not. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, there's that annoying timer section. The timer yeah. section, as a kid, I lost to that quite a few times. Um, and then you, you guys both waited for Shadow. Good. Mm-hmm. Thank, yes. Thankfully, you guys listened to my advice. You waited yes. it out. Your advice was kind of was kind of vague, listeners. Jason's advice was like, when you have the chance to wait. F- to wait for a character, wait as long as possible. I think that was the yeah. advice you gave. Yeah, it was very... Which, like, I was like, okay, I, I, I see that I'm being asked to wait here, but... Um... Well, because the, you get stressed. You're like, oh my God, it's 10 seconds left. Is he really going to show yeah. up here? And mm-hmm. then he finally comes and the, it's like a cutscene, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, and then the big twist. The world has come to an end. This was, like, totally, like, speaking of things that were unprecedented and, like, mind-blowing, like, this whole concept of, like, the entire world coming to an end because the bad guy like actually pulled off his master plan instead of just getting like foiled at the last possible minute was was mind-blowing and you guys will see what happens because the second half of the game is entirely set in this bleak depressing world where you'll get to go around to all the cities and like meet people who you met last time in the in the world of balance which is what the first half is called and see what this horrible world has done to them and it's it's gonna be really dark um as you guys will see but um first of all did you did either of you know this was coming maddie like did you have any idea this was gonna happen no, but I mean, there is the fact that these are mustache twirling villains. So it's not like I was like, wow, I bet Kafka in the Emperor, like the Emperor's totally going to overcome Kafka. It's all going to be fine at the end. <laughs> like, I didn't think that was going to go well, but I also did know there was more. Yeah, game. but the mustache twirling villain never actually like executes on his plan the way that Kafka did. I guess that's true. I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting him to like move the statues around. I mean, like in that sense, I wasn't like, oh yeah, I, I was surprised by that part. Sure. And I wasn't expecting the world to end. I did not know that the world was going to end. That was a surprise to me. Pretty wild. I think pretty, Kirk pretty knew, because I feel like at one point, Kirk, you said you like had read ahead in a walkthrough and you knew mm-hmm. that. It that wasn't that I read ahead in a walkthrough. I just knew because like ambiently, it was just something I picked up. Like I knew mm-hmm. that there was a huge twist in the middle of Final Fantasy VI and that the there was like an apocalyptic thing that happened and the whole map yeah. changed. Like, it, But it was like the kind of thing I'd heard ambiently and I had never really looked into. So, you know, playing the game, I was like, okay, I I guess I Kefka is going to fuck shit up and like the whole world is going to end and that's going to lead to the second half which is going to be wild um but you know still seeing it was still effective and i can imagine what it would have been like to play this without knowing that mm-hmm. and you know this reminds me a little of chrono trigger which came out after this game right but chrono trigger plays with some of these same ideas of like with time travel added in as a mechanic mm-hmm. and is so like 
the next step after this of being like, and now we're going to make it so that you can actually warp between the worlds and like affect the timeline because it's a time travel game. But there is mm-hmm. this future world that's all destroyed and this past world and stuff. And I like playing the game that sort of set that in motion. Like you were talking at the very beginning, Jason, about how you can just see all of these ideas that are in this game that then would go on to become, you know, eventually become tropes, but like just also Mm -hmm. be explored in subsequent games. This definitely feels Mm -hmm. like one. I mean, Zelda's done some of those things. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Zelda, so now you guys are in the part of the game where um, I won't spoil anything, but like essentially after a certain point, it will become very non-linear and it gets to the point where you can go challenge a final boss at any point you want but you're probably not going to be powerful enough and instead you'll want to go around like accumulating stuff and doing doing things Mm -hmm. finding finding your party members and seeing where everyone wound up do your weapons break Um, (laughs) your weapons do not break fighting some moblins Um, you will fight moblins yeah yeah so I'm very excited to see what you guys think because the second half of the game is a little it's way less linear and way less scripted and so it can feel disjointed at times and also um, it's heavier on the combat than the first half is Um, heavier on the dungeon crawling at least Um, so yeah very excited to see what you guys think but we'll have to save that for the beans cast for sure uh, we will do I believe in June is the plan we'll I think we'll we'll announce it officially but but assume like anyone who's playing the game with us and wants to know how much longer they have, assume you have at least another month and a half or so to Mm -hmm. play through the rest of the game. So yeah, we will be back uh, to talk more about Final Fantasy VI back then. I'm glad you guys are enjoying it more. I hope the enjoyment stays uh, at that (laughs) level as you guys finish the game. Are you both like, do you want, because last time you both wanted to like have nothing to do with the game afterwards. You were like, all right, putting it down for a while. That was more me than Kirk, I think. Now that you've seen the world get destroyed, are you like, do you want, do you actively want to go back and play it now? Or are you thinking you'll take a break again? I kept playing it a little bit more than Kirk, I think, just because I was so curious about Celis and like what her situation was. So I like kept playing a little bit more, and it's weird enough that I'm I'm like, wow, I want to know what's going to happen in the rest of the story. I'm not like super excited to hear this is a more combat heavy chunk of the game because I actually care about the story, but that's okay. It's fine. I will get to hear what happens to the characters, and mm-hmm. I will just fight my way through it. Yeah, same. And I didn't play anymore after Celis, but actually kind of for the same reason. I was like, oh, I'm intrigued by this and I actually mm-hmm. really want to keep playing. So this is actually a good place to stop because I will remember the game as, oh, it's at that point where I wanted to see what happens next, which mm-hmm. I won't good. play immediately, but I'll, I'll pick it up and I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Good. Oh, man, you guys are in for some treats. Some of my favorite parts of the game are coming up. Um, but also just be warned. I just want to warn you guys and anyone else who's playing along that because it's nonlinear, there might be some points that you're like, wait a minute, what? like this is very disjointed but that's just the nature of the beast anyway let's take a break and then we'll be back with one more thing are you riddled with guilt over your tbr pile are you filled with shame about a book that you just can't seem to finish are you having regrets because grad school killed your love of reading we're reading glasses and we're here to help I'm Mallory. And I'm Bria. Let us absolve you of all your reading guilt. Stuck on a book you don't like? We'll help you dump it. Can't figure out what to read next? We'll recommend something in your wheelhouse. Can't decide where to buy your books from? We'll point you in the right direction. No matter what you read or how you read it, we'll help you do it better. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Hey, kid. Your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? (laughs) 
In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who. And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time for one more thing. I want to go first because I'm going to leapfrog off of a point that you made earlier, Kirk, about invisible random encounters. So I've been playing Saga Frontier Remastered, which is a new Square Enix remaster of an old PlayStation 1 game that's part of the the Saga series. Um, do you guys Are you guys familiar with the Saga series at all? It's very weird. I know what they are, but I've never played one. Only through you. It's incredibly weird. It's like this this series of incredibly niche JRPGs um, that are just so complicated and like player unfriendly that like they almost make you. Um, it almost feels like they're actively working against you as a player when you play them sometimes. <laughs> they're very much games that are like that have to be taken on their own terms. They're unlike any other JRPG out there. Um, they're games where you could get stuck and have to restart your entire save file because you did things the wrong way or like didn't grind enough and got stuck in this part of the game in a dungeon with like only one character and you can't do anything about it. Um, so <laughs> they're very much I, I read this comment on Reddit or something that was like that that described it well. It was basically like this is a game that will meet you at its own terms and you can either choose to like accept those (laughs) terms or you can go play something else it'll tell you to fuck off um but one of the interesting things that the remastered version does is that it has a flea button to combat and makes it so it automatically works so you can skip any combat encounter in the game and that as i've said before that combined with fast forward which is also in this um make random encounters so much more palatable in saga frontier they're not invisible but they're essentially unavoidable because there are these sprites on the map that will run at you in super speed so you're running into them constantly Mm. in dungeons and stuff um and uh being able to flee and just escape any encounter makes the game so much more pleasant because you can choose instead of having to take it at its own terms you can be like you know what i don't want to fight these monsters i'm gonna grind a little bit later and play a bunch of monsters over there and i'm just gonna skip all of these combat encounters and it makes it much more pleasant to play it's still not a game i would really recommend to most people because it's so esoteric and so unfriendly to play but if you're like me and you played it as a kid and you want to like go have that nostalgia blast and like see if it's as fun as you remember then check it out um saga frontier remastered definitely not something that either of you would give a shit (laughs) yeah Um, that's fine one jrpg is enough one jrpg (laughs) is definitely enough no and and this is like like if you're if, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone except people who have like played the old version or like masochist. For some reason, the saga series has been getting all this traction at Square Enix. They're like new sagas and remasters of the series. Chrono Trigger has never been touched, but like every saga game has a remaster <laughs> on the Switch. It's really ridiculous. I think it's because the guy who made the saga series, like the big director, is still at Square as opposed to some of the other like top directors. Right. Chrono Trigger has some like complicated it's stuff. It's very right? much, yeah, like a politics thing. And so Square mm. puts all this money into the saga series of all series but like Chrono Trigger can't even play it on Switch disappointing anyway Maddie what's your one more thing my thing is a podcast I have been doing a lot of packing and unpacking in my life lately so I can't recommend you're wrong about because I already talked about that podcast a couple (laughs) one more things ago but this is a different podcast that I've also listened to a 
patently absurd number of episodes to. Um, and it's called The Content Minds, and it's hosted by Ryan Broderick and Luke Bailey. And they are an American guy who currently lives in South America and a British guy. And every week they talk about weird stuff that's happening on the internet around the world and various trends emerging on social media and do their takes on it. And it's very rare that I find cultural critics who I not only agree with, but who actually have a take that heightens whatever I already thought about the weird, you know, media discourse of the day might be. And Hmm. I just really, really dig it. Like they've talked about NFTs. They've talked about the Royals, which in particular, I don't know a ton about that. And so hearing Luke Bailey analyze it from his perspective of actually knowing about UK politics is really helpful and cool. And then to have Ryan Broderick contextualize it with like living in other places in the world and how are people reacting to it here? It just, I don't know. I learned a lot from it and I ended up going back and listening to like every episode they recorded, uh, before the coup on the U S Capitol attempted coup and like hearing them predict it and make their predictions Mm. based on internet trends that they were seeing and then hearing them react to it was fascinating and weird. And I just, really dug it. So I recommend this show if somebody else has way too much time on their hands and wants to hear a couple smart people talk about the internet and how people talk on it. Kirk, what's your one more thing? My one more thing is the third part of my trilogy that I have been creating these last few weeks on Monster Hunter Rise. Um, we didn't even so, know it was a trilogy. It's like Star Wars. You just it is, sprung it, it is. on us. Well, there yeah. was that there was that big um, cliffhanger last week where I revealed that the um, Switchblade was the father of my longsword. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, my longsword cried <laughs> no, and it fell into a pit. And it lost its hilt, but it has a robot hilt now. It's a whole thing. It was cool you started with episode four, though. Like, it was confusing yeah. at the beginning, mm-hmm. but then it was like, oh, it's part of, like, a commentary on tropes about one more thing. Well, well right, next right, week right. you're going to get into Monster Hunter World, and that'll be your prequel. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. of course. Um, so, uh, so uh, Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, I beat the game, basically, like, what is there of it now, though it's going to continue to be expanded this year, but I I beat the final Elder Dragon, and I've, I've reached endgame, let's say. I've played a lot of this game. I really, really, really love this game. It's the first time I've gotten into, like, a loot game, honestly, since, like, I stopped playing Destiny 2 several years ago, so um, it's fun to play a game like that. Um, my thought on it, my last thought, is related, again, to friction, which is the thing I've been thinking about with Final Fantasy VI and with this game, Both Japanese-developed games, both in long-running series from very different eras of gaming, but have some similarities in just how there's a lot of menus that aren't always easy to navigate, and that part of the joy of the game is, like, in spite of all of that, finding a way to have this, like, smooth, skillful, fun experience, and... That expresses itself a lot of ways, like the way that you maximize your build and customize your menus so that you can like use the menus effectively in combat is actually like a big part of the game. Like like making the game more user-friendly is part of the game. And as you get better at it, <laughs> the game becomes easier to use in the menus because you've learned how to set them up. So wow. there's that. But there's also like in the game itself, there's stuff that once you figure out how to use it, it's so fun and freeing and doesn't feel or it feels like I'm navigating a bunch of like very frictiony stuff like how there it's like you can't just jump. There's no just straight jump button. But if you learn how to use the wire bugs, which are the like little like sort of grappling hooks that you can use to do all kinds of special moves and you learn the map really well. 
once you know where to go, you can like hop on the back of your dog and you ride up to a wall, you jump off your dog in midair, you like shoot the wire bug to the wall, you run straight up the wall, go over the edge, off the top of the wall, then in midair, your wire bug is refreshed and you can like cast them through the air and you become like Spider-Man. You can get around <laughs> the levels in this game like Spider-Man. And now that I'm good enough at that, I'm like flying around and when I'm fighting guys, like a monster will knock me back and I'll just come flying back at him in midair and I'll like pull my sword out in midair and hit him. And then like, you know, when he runs away, I'm like flying through the level, like going through all these like really high nooks and crannies through the canyons. And it's like being Spider-Man only in Spider-Man, you just hold down a button and like he does it automatically and you're just like flipping around and you look awesome and you can kind of make it more complicated if you want, but that's all you have to do. In this game, it's really hard to do that. You have to have enough wire bugs. You have to know to go get the extra wire bug in that in that area. You have to know the level really well. You have to kind of know like where you're going, what you're doing, have a feel for the rhythms of it. But once you do, it's actually kind of more rewarding that you can be like Spider-Man and Monster Hunter because the game does not make it easy to do that, but it makes it possible. And that's been a really cool sense. thing about this game in general. It reminds me of a Souls game in that, like, it, yes, you get a lot out of it once you've mastered it. And you're Spider-Man. Yeah. And you're Spider-Man, yes, yeah. because of course. Well, you know, Souls in Bloodborne, games. the part where you got uh, in, injected by a, spy, a mutant spider, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you start yeah, We all know. Away. For sure, and your Uncle Ben dies, and he, like, yeah. you know, he's yeah. so sad. We've seen and, it all before. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, so anyways, that's my kind of final thought on the game, is that part of the reason the narrative around it is that it's so hard to get into it. Like, it's just always the first thing people talk about is like, oh, I know those games are good, but it's so hard to get into it. And there is something essential to the game tied in with that difficulty, that friction, how hard it is to navigate those big chunky blocks of all of it at first, that once you've figured out how to get through them and you're skating around up above the blocks and around the blocks and you can kind of play with them in all these ways, it's really fun. And that process and then the end point of like having mastered it is so rewarding that I I think it is actually kind of an essential part of why I'm enjoying the game. So that's my kind of final verdict is that difficulty, that thing that people always complain about is essential to the game and does make me like it more because it's possible to reach this level of not mastery. I'm no master, but, you know, expertise in it. And it's, it's really just a great game. And I loved it. Same same with a Souls game. And if, mm-hmm. But all the, although mm-hmm. I think I feel like a Souls game is probably easier to get into, like the, the barrier for entry is probably it's also it. more straightforward. There's just like not mm-hmm. as much like navigation and you can't like turn it into a DMC game the way that you kind of right. can turn, especially Rise, since they added this wire bug thing. I mean, that's what's made this one so fun. It does mm-hmm. have this element of speed and verticality that the series hasn't had before cool um all right well that is it for this week's episode kirk it and is. see you both next week yep see you both next week bye triple click is produced by jason schreier maddie myers and me kirk hamilton i edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music our show art is by tom dj some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration you can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org
comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported. I thought in my head, 60 seconds, okay, got it. And then you're like, submit it. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? What's that? What? 60 seconds? Is a minute? What kind of nonsense is this? No, no, no. It's 100 seconds. That way 100 it makes seconds way is more a minute. Yeah. Right. We're on the yeah, metric of system of time. <laughs> the metric yeah, time Yeah, 100 hours per day. Makes sense. 100 yes. days per year. <laughs> that would be amazing. 100 years in a century. Right. I mean, it's all, it just scales right down. Easy, It makes easy, so much easy. more sense. Yeah, the U.S. version where this is just all weird. 365 days in a year. He's why like, are they what doing that? that? <laughs> well, it's also so confusing when you talk to your friends in England and they're in know, April and, and they're in like, September. Yeah, 100 seconds in a minute. Right. It makes right. deadlines really hard overseas. It does. It really does. It makes it makes a lot of things much more complicated than they need to be. This explains World War II. Let's record this is a the show. We're doing let's a great job. Let's record a show. It's true. We're doing good.